Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. So this is week three in a message series called Worth the Wait. And we've been talking about what it's like when you're stuck in the waiting room. Not necessarily the waiting room at the doctor's office or the dentist's office or wherever you might be waiting for an appointment. But I'm talking about the waiting room of life, when you're trapped in the in-between. And when the in-between seems interminable, when it's just taking forever, when whatever it is that's troubling you, when whatever it is that's hurting you, when whatever it is that's keeping you up at night, doesn't seem to be going anywhere, and when you're trapped in that moment just going, how long is this going to take? Uh, I've been getting a, a pretty steady stream of feedback from you about this message series. Many of you are coming up to me after services and reaching out, and, and I, I've been reminded of something by your feedback, something that I forget from time to time, and that I need to be reminded of, and maybe you forget from time to time and need to be reminded of, and that thing is that everybody is in pain. Everyone is carrying pain of some kind. Yes? Everyone's carrying pain of some kind. Everyone has an area of their life that hurts. And particularly now, given the world we live in and the stresses that we're all under, it's easy to forget that because, as you may know, pain makes us myopic. Pain causes us to focus on ourselves. When something hurts, you focus on what hurts. And so when you're focused on you, it's easy to be impatient with other people. Yes? Maybe you've observed that in your life. When you're focused on you and when you're kind of, your mind is set on what's hurting you, it's easy to get really impatient with others. And it's easy to forget that that other person that you're so irritated with is themselves in pain. So I've been trying in the, in the, the weeks, you know, the last few weeks, to, to just try to remember anytime. Uh, it's in me to become irritated with a person or anytime it's in me to, yes, I know, pastors aren't supposed to become irritated ever, but it happens. So anytime something like that comes up, I'm just trying to remind myself on a regular basis, <clears throat> that dude that just cut me off in traffic, that person that was rude to me, that person that, you know, maybe gave me a look that I didn't know how to interpret, whatever it is, he or she is in pain. He or she is themselves in some kind of a waiting room, waiting for something to resolve in their life. And it was like that from the very first Christmas, wasn't it? Mary and Joseph are trapped in a scandal. Mary and Joseph are in the middle of, of a really, really big scandalous affair, right? Mary's pregnant but unwed. Joseph is sticking by her side. It's created this storm of gossip and haters, and people sniping at them, and talking at them, and from, I mean, from the gate, from the initiation of the Christmas narrative, we find key players 
in the waiting room, just wanting things to resolve, waiting for things to get better. <clears throat> so what happens is, if you're like me, when you're made to wait, I talked a little bit last week about how my, my threshold for patience is about 10 minutes. When you're made to wait for something, when someone's running late, when someone doesn't keep an appointment, when a red light seems to be taking so long that you think maybe it's broken, when something like that happens, is that not the only one that that happens to? Um, I'm, I have issues with patience. So, I, you know, in moments like that, what happens is <clears throat> you start to feel disregarded. And when you start to feel disregarded, then you start to feel a little irritated. And what comes next is, after you feel disregarded and you start to feel irritated, what comes next is you start to feel a little bit entitled. And, and, and voices start kind of popping up in your head that say things like, you know, you don't deserve this. You don't deserve this. And why, why is this happening to me? Why did this have to happen to me? Why me? Why am I trapped in this place? Why am I dealing with this awful stuff anyway? Like, I'm a good person. Why does this horrible stuff have to happen to me? And, and that now's as good a time as any to revisit the lunacy of the good person, bad person dichotomy. Can we talk about that for a hot minute? In many of our minds, the world is composed of two kinds of people. There's good people and bad people. And bad people is always somebody else. Even bad people think that bad people is somebody else. Even bad people think, like, I'm a good person. Everybody thinks they're a good person. So from our perspective, when something bad happens to us, it triggers something in us. We get triggered. And if we feel like if there's no explanation for it, and the suffering or the pain or the difficulty comes with no discernible connection to eternity, if the pain or difficulty comes with no discernible connection to a grand plan or no discernible connection to something that God may or may not be doing, we start to wonder, why me? Why did this happen to me? I don't deserve this. I'm a good person. And good things are supposed to happen to good people. And bad things are supposed to happen to bad people. And, and this doesn't seem right. And what happens then is we become God's accuser. We start putting God on trial. As if he has mismanaged bad things. Like... It's silly, but it's almost like we believe that there's this stack of terrible things that God has to distribute through humanity on any given day. That God has to distribute this, this, you know, like remember the Grinch in the post office? Chain mail, chain mail. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, you know, like God is going to distribute all these terrible things to, you know, that God has to distribute this stack of terrible things throughout humanity and somehow we have been the recipient of a terrible thing. Some terrible thing has come to visit us and now we're triggered and we're wondering, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, uh, I'm a good person here. This landed in the wrong mailbox. I go to church. I mean, come on. You know how few people go to church these days? Like, and this came to me? Surely, 
There is some drug dealer out there that was more deserving of this than me. Surely there's some, you know, drug dealer or like, you know, child molester or human trafficker or some really wicked, evil person out there who was somehow more deserving of this than me. And I don't really get why this had to come to me. I don't understand why this is visiting me. It doesn't seem right that this has come my way. And, and I don't have any explanation. I don't see it all. I, I don't get why this is in my life. And it seems like it's taking forever to resolve. This is hard. This is, this is difficult, right? So we act as if God is part of the picture, and we, you know, I mean, we, we act as if, sorry, we act as if we, we can be God's accuser, and we act as if the part of the picture that we see is the only part of the picture. But God is telling a vast, um, so here's, okay, here's the theological truth to it, and you may or may not find this helpful, God is painting a vast, amazing narrative. And sometimes the part that we've been given to play in that vast, amazing narrative involves some suffering. That's the truth. But that's not necessarily emotionally satisfying or helpful when you're in, say, your third Christmas season with cancer. And you're wondering when it's going to go into remission. When by now you had hoped to be back to healthy and you're still struggling with it. Or you're watching a family member struggle with it and it owns you. Uh, it's great to talk about theological concepts uh, and, and to, to nod in agreement and, and say yes, and, and we, can, we can look at the verses and we can see, you know, God causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, and he causes the rain to fall on the good and the evil, and we get all that. We can kind of absorb all that and say yes and amen, but it's different. It's a different thing emotionally. It, it, it hits different when you are, you know, you, 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 you were convinced that you'd be married by now, and you're spending another Christmas alone. And all your friends and all your relatives and everyone around you is all coupled up and doing their thing, and you're by yourself. Or when you're, you know, when everybody around you is buying Christmas presents and you lost your job. Right, when everybody around you is buying gifts and talking about the trips they're gonna take and the wonderful things they're gonna do, and you can't pay your bills. These are real situations that we find ourselves in. Situations that have to stare down the barrel of those theological truths and we wonder, is it going to stand up? Is the stuff we talk about in church able to translate to real life? Does the stuff we talk about on Sunday make it to, to my work with me on Monday morning? Does it apply during the week when I'm out there living my real life? Okay, so we're going to look at some scripture now, and it's, it's not, we're not going where you think we might. We're not, we're not going to go to the Christmas narrative. We're actually going to jump back to Good Friday. And we're going to visit a window of time when Jesus Christ himself found himself 
in the waiting room. This narrative takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his execution. This is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. So, this is Jesus in the waiting room, right? This is Jesus on the night of his execution. And you know, what rattles me deep is that Jesus knows what's coming. We believe that Jesus was fully God and fully human. So understanding as he did what was about to happen, he's not experiencing these events the way everyone else is experiencing them. The the other disciples, the guys that are waiting with him and falling asleep on him, they don't really understand what's coming. They're just, they're panicked and they're weirded out, and Jesus has been making references to his own death, that makes zero sense to them because they've just finally come to really believe that he's the Messiah. So this is all really disorienting to the 12, but Jesus sees clearly and vividly what's to come. He is about to die the most agonizing death anyone could come up with in the first century. The Roman cross was pure torture. This was not a quick death. Now, this was awful, an awful, I mean, if you've ever dreaded a medical procedure, if you've ever had a root canal you just wanted to get over with, if you've ever had something you just, I just can't wait till I can get through this, 
Can you fathom this for a minute? And here's Jesus. Jesus Christ himself going, Father, if there's any other way, please, 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 take this cup from me. I don't want to drink this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go through with this. And he goes back to his disciples, and all he asked, he was like, guys, just stay up with me for a bit. Like, just, just stay up and watch with me. Hang with me. And they couldn't pull it off. They were so exhausted, they fell asleep. It, it just highlights how utterly alone he was in this moment. So Jesus Christ himself prays to heaven and says, please, God, is there any other way? And what does he hear in this moment? I'm sorry, son, there's no other way. You have to go through this. You can't go around it. I hate it when God says that to me. I don't want to go through it. I want to go around it. Anybody else just want to go around it? You know what happens when I get stuck in traffic? You know what I want to do? I want to go around it. I start looking at the shoulder. Some, some, some difficulty comes my way in life. I want to go around it. Some struggle happens. I want to go around it. I always want to go around it. I don't want to go through it. And you don't either. And this is Jesus Christ saying, okay, I, I, I don't want this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to go through this. And God says, I'm sorry. So here's what happens. And this is back to theology. And I get that we're, jump, we're juxtaposing the real world and theology. But if we do that right, they're going to marry each other. If we do that right, they're going to connect. And what happens to us in the working week and what happens to us in our home life and what happens to us in our living life will match what happens to us on Sunday morning. What we're seeing here is that God had to turn away from Jesus so that he does not have to turn away from us. He turns away. He turns, he turns his back. Jesus dies alone. He, his, his words from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Has there ever been a more tragic thing? God has to turn away from Jesus. Jesus is paying for all of our sins. This happens so that God does not have to turn away from you and I. God hasn't turned away from you in the waiting room. It's just that you have to go through it instead of around it. And we don't want to go through it. We would rather not go through it. We don't understand why we have to go through it. And so we reason like a child. Why? Right? That's what happens to me. This is from 1 Corinthians 13. Not the part they read at weddings. The other part. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. 
For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. When I was a child, I thought like a child. We've all been there. It's embarrassing sometimes how, how our thoughts can revert to childlike thinking. And, you know, because a child, a child, a child comes to understand things through one word, often repeated over and over again ad nauseum. Why? You ever have a kid you just want to throw out the window because just why? 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 Shut up! Right? And you know this, your kids, and sometimes your kids, sometimes they're just teasing you. They're just saying, why? And they're just going to say, why, forever. But there comes a point where you just go, oh, come on. Like, there is no more why. Just because. Because. Because that's how it is. Because I said so. Because whatever will make you stop asking why, that's why. Because. And it's in me to reason like that. Why? 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 Gratefully, God is a far more patient parent than I. But when I was a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child, and I, I still have it in me to reason like a child. What else, what else does, does a child say all the time? It's not fair. That's a, that's a kid's greatest weapon. for a, Hey, that's not fair. And it's like, it's like they, they were born with some innate sense of scale, right? That's not fair. That isn't fair, and it could be that, that she got one more cookie than I got, or he got to stay up late when he was my age, and now I'm his age, and I don't have to stay up that late, and that's not fair. And, you know, it's just all, there's this innate sense of that's not fair, that's not fair. And after a while, like, <clears throat> there comes a point as a parent where that's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. After a while, you, can, you have it up to here. You say this to your children. Every one of us has said this to our children. In fact, say it with me. Hey, kid, guess what? Life's not fair. It's not. Life's not fair. What was it in you that makes you think it's supposed to just be all divided up equally? That, 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 that somehow that good things are only to happen to good people and bad things are only to happen to bad people. And that somehow, surely God has mismanaged the cosmos if some terrible thing has come to you. No, life isn't fair. You know what life is? It's broken. You know what this place is? It's broken. The world is broken. It was fractured by sin. Sin. fractured by sin and now we're living in recovery we're trying to find a way to get through the unfair we're trying to find a way to get through the difficulty we're trying to find a way out of the waiting room and in this season we are reminded that there is a light coming at the end of the tunnel and no pessimists it's not an oncoming train that light at the end of the tunnel is advent it is the coming of Jesus Christ who arrives in the narrative to set things right. It's the beginning of redemption. It's the beginning of God coming to set things right again in the world and in our lives. And what we are called upon to do now 
is wait. We don't want to wait, and I don't want to wait. And I would rather, I would rather just keep, keep going and keep moving and, 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 because we don't see. And then he concludes with this. Now we see partially. We see as in a reflection of a mirror. We talked about this a few months ago in a different sermon series. Mirrors in the first century are not like mirrors today. So that verse may land on you funny because he says, well, now we see in a mirror, then we'll see face to face. For us, we see a mirror, and it's just as clear as if we were looking at a person Mirrors in the first century, they didn't have the technology to make glass and silver-backed mirrors the way we do today that reflect so perfectly. When the Bible was written, when these words were written, a mirror was likely just a piece of metal that was pitted and pocked and bent a little bit and didn't really reflect well what was in it. So if you're looking at that kind of a mirror, a first century mirror, you're kind of like straining and struggling to find a glimpse. And, and, and what he's saying is, yeah, now all we see is a piece of it. We see this small part of it. All we see is our piece of the narrative. We see our thing. And we only see in part. And what even what we see, even what we see in part, we don't see clearly. We see it bent and pocked and pitted and marked. It's not right. But soon, clarity is coming. Soon, the mirror will go and we'll just see face to face. And we'll see God face to face. And we'll come to understand the part we had to play in the grand narrative. And it doesn't mean like that, that all of a sudden, bang, that's going instantation, to instantaneously lend meaning to the suffering you now experience Monday through Friday. It may not. But it brings with it hope. It brings with it the hope of redemption. That Jesus Christ's arrival into the historical narrative and Jesus Christ's arrival into our hearts brings with it the hope that we are going to find meaning in the difficulty and that we do not wait alone. We have him and we have each other to lean on. Let's remember that as we, as we complete. We're going to complete this series next week on Sunday and then again on Thursday. We're going to lean on him and lean on each other until Advent comes. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we love you and we're just so grateful that you've come that you are coming, that even though we know in part, we eagerly await the day when we shall know in full, that even as we see in a broken, distorted mirror, we eagerly await the day when these things will become clear. Father, we have it in us to think like children and reason like children and be full of why, 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 and it's not fair. And I'm just praying for the maturity, Father, myself, and I pray for all of us here that we might find a bit of the maturity that Jesus modeled for us in the garden, the ability to say, Father, we don't want this and we're praying against it and we'd like it to go but if that's not to be then your will be done in our lives we pray this together father your will be done in each and every one of our lives in jesus name amen hey thanks once again for taking the time to listen it's an honor to have you with us 
If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.